Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show, broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island where it is broadcast continuously for 15 years. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at tracyhotchnerpets.com. I'm also the founder and director of the annual New York Dog Film Festival, which travels the country supporting local animal welfare groups after a New York City premiere every October alongside my annual New York Cat Film Festival brought to you by Dr. Elsie's. This show would not be possible without the longtime support of Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food, remaining privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards. This show was also made possible with the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their cats. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, which is privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative dog chew, no hide, and the hybrid dry food wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky Weimaran or Maisie will eat. Just when I thought there was maybe nothing more we could say about the human-animal bond, especially the canine-human bond, Jessica Pierce, who's an internationally acclaimed bioethicist, which we'll discuss in a moment what that is, a bioethicist, has basically gelled, I don't know, brought together in this wonderful mix so many ideas that she's had in she's had 11 other books published many of them about ethics to do with animals other than dogs but very much dogs and this book who's a good dog how to be a better human by jessica pierce seems to amalgamate all of her ideas and take it up a mountain to more ideas and i thought oh my god i'll be able to just look at this briefly and no i had to dig deeply and think on every page about what this meant about me and this show and my dogs and how I influence other people with their dogs. Jessica, it's an amazing book, and you found so many new things to think about and have us have us think about and to write about. And I didn't you at some point think, okay, I guess I'm done here. I've written 11 books. What more could I possibly say? But did you know you had more to say? You know, I did. And the funny thing is, um, this will horrify you or make you laugh. I'm not sure. I'm not sure which. 
I so the book that you have in your hand is maybe seventy thousand words. At one point in writing Who's a Good Dog, I had three hundred thousand words. Stop it. And I was still going. I had so much to say wow. about dogs and humans and the dog human relationship. It was really it was mind blowing even to me because I've I've yeah, I've said a lot already. Um, wow. but you said a lot and yeah, said it more. well. You're very <laughs> scholarly, yeah. and the, this book and several of your others are published by the University of Chicago Press, which is fancy, you know, liter- literature, fancy literature, fancy academia. And some of your books are even more academic, and some of them are more to the lay public. All of them are accessible, and your ideas seem to continue to evolve about how we view dogs and how we live with them. I mean, one of your last books was Mark Beckoff was, should dogs be forced to live with us at all? I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but right? I mean, dogs in our world, that was about like, what would the world be like if there were no humans? What would the world be like for dogs? I'm like, you guys are going far afield, you and Mark Beckoff, who has also written endless books about humans and dogs. But it's great. Yeah. Yeah, the deep end. But you know what? It's great to go there because as humans who live in such a kind of industrialized, technologically imbued world. I think dogs, and of course kitties too, to some extent, although they keep us more in the house, they're our only connection to nature and to something natural and something primitive or primal. I mean, I guess that's really why, as a bioethicist, you have so much to say. They're the only species that we can really see ourselves in a mirror, right? Through through whom we can see. yeah. Yeah. And I think, although dogs do offer us, in some sense, a connection to nature, it's it's curious to me how often we fail to see them as animals, if you know what I mean. Oh, I do know like what you mean. Enough yeah, of this pet parents. I mean, you as, don't like pet yeah. owners. You like guardians. I don't like pet parents. I'm not wild about guardians just because, well... I mean, is a rose by another yeah, name still a rose? It is, but it's 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 tricky. Yeah. It's tricky because I'm not crazy about any of the language. Yeah, yeah, but I love your language in general because you invent words. Now, maybe you invent them, or maybe they already are out there, and you just bring them to our attention, like dogification. You invented that word, right? <laughs> I I might have. Yeah, yeah, it's really quite wonderful. Let's just start with the cover of Who's a Good Dog. It's a very arresting cover. It definitely grabs your attention. People don't go into, unsadly, real bookstores anymore because are there anymore? Barely. So they'll see it online or or however they find books. But I, th- I see the cover and I'm like, what? Who's a good dog? And then there's this dog on the cover. I'm like, um, is this a joke? Is it supposed to be like a happy dog? It looks to me like a dog that's going to attack me in a funny car- kind of cartoony way. And I thought... Okay, is Jessica, was she looking away when they picked the, the jacket cover? I mean, talk about the jacket cover, because it really seems to be about Bella, your dog, who's very much through the book and not a good dog in the ways that we've been yeah. thinking of good dogs. A difficult dog, a demanding dog, demanding patience, demanding forbearance, demanding empathy, understanding, and forgiveness by the humans, especially you, right? Yeah, Yes. <laughs> so tell me about this girl on the cover. It's a cool photo, but it's it's like, oh, my God, you makes you sort of want to back up. Is this dog coming for my throat? 
<laughs> I, um, you know, when I, I didn't design the cover, it was all University of Chicago right. Press. And I have to say, I love the covers that they do. And, and this book in particular, I, I got the, you know, the JPEG one day in my email and I opened it and I was shocked. Like yes. my jaw just yes. dropped. Like I, I, but I, it was nothing like I, nothing that I expected. I don't know what I expected, but it was um, shocking, but I loved it immediately. I'm me like, too. this is, this is perfect. Um, the dog to me looks joyful. It's a, it's a dog. If you haven't seen the cover, it's a dog with her mouth open just about to catch a treat that's flying through the air. And she does look a little bit unhinged. <laughs> which, <laughs> the whites of uh, her you know, eyes I think are is, showing. <laughs> it, it, it is fitting because the book is about how how our our dogs who put up with us are a bit unhinged yeah, having to, that's right. having that's to, right. to live with what we ask them to live with. Um, and so I think it's a it's a really uh, arresting, I think, is a, maybe it's a the fabulous word that you use. It's a fabulous yeah, it's cover. Great. And and How to Be a Better Human as a subtitle tells us, well, are we good dogs? You know, in a way, good girl, good girl. Are we good girls? Are we good boys too? Or are we just selfish and self-absorbed? And are we missing the point of these creatures who yeah. we have created to live beside us? You, you talk um, early on in the book and then make reference again to a study in bad dog behavior that really bothered me. I have a feeling it bothered you too. A gentleman called Yamada who found that 86% mm-hmm. of owners had at least one bad dog behavior and then you in a later chapter say so. Can you come up with at least 25 bad dog behaviors? I'm like, Jessica, cut that out. I don't want to be calling all these things my dogs do bad. I mean, Bella's got a much longer list than my girls. So what do you mean by that? So can you talk about this very concept of people viewing dog behaviors as bad, troublesome, annoying, irritating, need fixing? Because I think in some fundamental way, that's what the book is about and what your compassion towards Bella as a genuinely difficult dog um, is about, which is sort of meeting them where they stand in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, I'd say the through line of the the book is that there are no bad dogs. Um, but we as a culture have um, really negative attitudes toward what our dogs are doing. If, if so many of their behaviors are annoying us and we're labeling them as bad and, you know, looking at Yamada's, list of bad behaviors so many of them are behaviors that are natural to our dog like barking and jumping up on people and soliciting food and asking for attention I mean these are not they're not bad behaviors they're they're behaviors that we might want to um, work with our dog to to modify um for our for our sake for our sake and just for the sake of having a harmonious relationship. Um, but I, what I, what I hope to do in the book is just invite people to reframe what our dogs are doing, not as bad, um, which is putting a moralistic spin on something that really has no 
you know, our dogs are not intentionally trying to drive us crazy. Um, and invite people to be more curious about why their dog is engaging in the behaviors that they're engaging in and not seeing them as bad, but as dog-like. Or, on the other hand, as manifestations of discomfort in the dog or anxiety in the dog, and because so many of the behaviors that we label bad are also, they're, they're signs that our dog is really struggling um, in our home environment to, to adapt or to meet our expectations. That's something that you talk about on, on the, the topic of fear, something I hadn't fully considered, that noise in particular, but other things that happen in a modern dog's life can be fear-provoking, and when you or any creature is afraid, it causes them or us to react in ways that it's really the reaction to the fear, which may be the behavior that we are not loving in our dog. And even a yeah. loud sneeze, things that you talk about. One of my dogs, she's gotten better, but a loud sneeze or a loud sudden barking laugh, and I don't mean the sound of a dog bark, but you know, I'm not going to recreate it here because yes. it would be very annoying for everyone to hear. <laughs> but you know, there's times when you can kind of belch out a strong laugh when someone says something that seems particularly hilarious. And she would bark at that. Now, I would find myself saying, Maisie, shh, enough. But really, she was reacting to it in a way maybe to join in, maybe to signal that she heard it and she's tuned in. Or, I mean, one could see that as annoying or bad when really it's interactive. It's wanting to exactly. acknowledge what's going on in your human world and perhaps be part of it or change it for her sake, whatever it may be. It's a way to interact and we never want to shut that down. And I think your book sort of encourages yeah. people to see and smell and feel the dog on every level, you know, smell what the dog is smelling, even smell the dog's odor and just take it in and think about it. We're just animals too. As a bioethicist, do you look at human behavior much or is that not so interesting to you? Um, it's very interesting and particularly behavior um, as it relates to our dogs. And I think if you were to study I mean, a, a person who studied human behavior, if they just watched people in interactions with with dogs and other companion animals, would have a fascinating time and would probably label us as quite insane. Oh, fully. Um, I think uh, yeah, <laughs> completely, you know, yeah, uh, candidates to be put in the locked up bin wearing a straitjacket. Yeah. <laughs> the way we talk with them, the way we think about them, the way we infantilize them. I mean, I think that some of the things that you say, if we view ourselves as pet parents or some kind of a different species parental figure, authority figure, love figure, caring figure to our dogs, I wonder if a lot of the behaviors of human children, who in some way are comparable age-wise or developmentally to various ages of dogs, would we be as critical? Are we as critical? Are we more forgiving and accepting of human children who do behaviors that are often quite noxious and socially, you know, irritating, do we try and shut those down or do we try and see them in a in a more kind light than we do about dogs? Yeah, I mean, I, it probably depends on what kind of parent we are, but 
um, with our human children and yes. with dogs. But but I think there's been a lot more sensitivity to um, the developmental stages of children's growth. I mean, if you have a teenager, for example, right. you have expectations about you're going to probably have some difficult behaviors um, and understanding those as teenage behaviors is really helpful. Exactly. Like, okay, my kid is, is being um, a little like challenging authority and yeah, that's or a good surly. thing because they're yeah, or withdrawn right. or rude and we accept uh, it or exactly. a toddler screams yeah. or has tantrums and we accept it. But with dogs, we expect them to be in the way we want a dog to be, no matter what its age, no matter what its physical condition, no matter the physical conditions around that dog, which is why I bring up the two-legged, because I think that there's somehow, and you bring this up in the book, each dog is so much an individual. You have to meet them and greet them with who they are and where they are in their life and their their history, and be open-minded and be in encouraging of them to be who they are and express themselves so they can feel felt. Absolutely. And, you know, I think now just looking as, as an example at the way there's, there's so much better understanding now of um, how children are on a whole spectrum of the neurodiverse spectrum. Absolutely. And we can't just squeeze these square pegs into round holes. And, you know, I think that you could say something really similar about dogs as just this whole diverse span of personality, temperament, individuality, and also past experience that we, we need to be sensitive to and um and love for love dogs for who they are not for who we think they ought to be Um, that's exactly right and and bella is such a good example of that she's sort of like the poster child for how bad can your dog behave and have you still love and accept them there's there's a generosity of spirit in the book who's a good dog and how to be a better human that i think is very instructive and very um compassion building for all of us. I, I Just to, to wind up because we're running out of time, one of the things you talk about is always leaving a bite of food on your plate for Bella when she licks the plate afterwards. And my dogs get to lick every single plate and bowl after any meal. But I never left a whole bite on there. And you made me feel so selfish <laughs> and stingy. And now, uh, for some reason, Wanda Weimaraner doesn't expect to lick the plate. But Maisie just sits there or lies there waiting. So now she gets a whole bite, and I say to her, thank Jessica. Thank who's a good dog. And Maisie does thank you, Jessica Pierce, for this wonderful book and for your ideas and your loving compassion to the dogs and to the people who love them. So thank you for this book. And I look forward to seeing the other, I don't know, what is it, 230,000 words or however many there more are in your next book. (laughs) We're we're all going to be waiting for it. You do a great service to all of us. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Tracy. It's always good to talk to you. I hope you enjoyed the show. There's a few more special companies that make the show possible, and I hope you'll try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. I want to thank Wonderside, founded by a woman entrepreneur who discovered an effective natural way of using plant-powered products to repel fleas, ticks, and other parasites on our pets instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. 
Wonderside makes it possible to protect your pets, children, and property without the chemicals that could be harmful to all of us. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human edible, ethically sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and answer only to their own high standards. Finally, we're supported by Magic Fabric Pet Throws, developed by a husband-wife team whose expertise in the textile industry solved the problem of their big hairy dog, Molly, who got on the couch in bed with them, despite her wet fur, muddy paws, and shedding. Sound familiar? They created machine-washable Magic Fabric Pet Throws to trap pet hair, dirt, and moisture, letting you enjoy dog and cat cuddle time without sacrificing your clothes, furniture, or decor. You can buy direct from the creators at magicfabric.com. 